Welcome to 100 Days in Mexico. I'm Melanie. This is the story of how a 100-day solo road trip, surfing my way down the Pacific coast of Mexico, changed my life forever. Ready to go on a road trip? Strap in, let's do this. Episode 23, The Mexican Cartel. Day 21. With absolutely no plan except to look for surf, I set off to the land of deeper. The farther south I traveled, the more rural and wild the land became. Just before I departed the mellow longboard spot, a friend of mine gave me a puppy. She had rescued him from a starving, sickly mother who was trying to survive while nursing nine puppies in the jungle. Here, you're going to need a little protection on your trip, she said handing me the most docile three-month-old puppy I had ever seen. I plopped the little thing in the passenger seat where she promptly fell asleep. Some protection. The poor little girl could hardly lift her head. I named her Mika, and I couldn't stop smiling each time I looked at her droopy face. A couple of hours passed as I cruised south, listening to podcasts, slamming on my brakes each time topes, Mexican speed bumps appeared out of nowhere. I flipped through my guidebook, which laid out all the surfing spots in mainland Mexico. The spots were depicted from north to south, with brief descriptions of how to find the waves and what to expect in each area. The guidebook listed a break coming up, but warned that it was near a drug trafficking town where you were likely to get ripped off if you left your vehicle unattended. I could see the turnoff for the surfing spot approaching, about a hundred yards ahead. I slowed, but decided it wasn't worth checking out. Just beyond the turnoff, a tree lay across both lanes of Max 200. A large, jacked-up black truck was parked next to the tree. Oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. I knew instantly what it was. No one has nice jacked-up trucks in the middle of rural Mexico, unless they are cartel. No one hangs out next to freshly cut trees in the middle of the road, unless they're trying to clear them, which these people were not. Or they don't want you to pass. There was no way around the tree. On the only road for hundreds of miles, this was a roadblock. I made a quick decision and a hard right-hand turn. Oh, maybe I'll go surfing after all. After a mile or so, the dirt road ended. A perfect right-hand point break. No surfers were out. Just as the guidebook predicted. I tied my puppy to the truck, grabbed a surfboard, and paddled out, hoping I could wait until the road blockers were done. I kept thinking I heard my dog barking back on the beach. I was completely paranoid and shaking. The surf session was worthless. I took a wave in and found my car untouched. My dog was napping quietly in the shade, water ball, bull, untouched. I stood there, staring at her, staring at my truck, staring back out toward the road. I considered my options. I could take my chances and hope the road was cleared, or I could turn around and go back to the place where I had just left. But that would mean the end of my adventure, and I would have to go back to working and 
to be able to afford the more expensive rent and the food in that area. No. I was on a surf trip. A grand adventure. Onward and deeper. I got in the car and put the windows down to let out the 120 degree heat before loading up Mika and the boards. I made a U-turn and headed back up the dirt road toward the highway. God, please let them be gone when I get back. Mika was sleeping again. Jeez, does she know how to do anything else? I turned the music off as I slowly navigated the washed out roads. Up ahead, I could see the paved road. It was decision time. To the left, back to safety, a job, crappy waves, the familiar, control, or to the right, towards danger, risk, the unknown, freedom. I turned right. As soon as I turned, I regretted it. The tree was still there. The truck was still there. The doors to the truck were flung open and two men wearing bandanas over their face jumped out, each man brandishing an assault rifle. Oh crap, oh crap, oh crap. I activated the automatic window, but it crept up at the speed of a lazy snail. The men were running, making a beeline for my car. The window was too slow, too slow, too slow. Mika lifted her head, sensing my fear. She stood to her feet in the passenger seat for the first time. The men reached my car, and the upward progress of my window was halted by the cold barrel of an AR-15 held at eye level. Baha la bintana, they screamed at me. I knew they wanted me to open the window, but I pretended not to understand. I don't speak Spanish, I replied. No espanol. I lifted my hands and shook my head. I lied. It had been almost three weeks since I had learned survival Spanish by that time. The first guy tried the door handle and then pounded on the door. When he found it was locked, there was no pretending I didn't understand that what that gesture meant. I opted for the lesser of two evils and rolled down the window. The man stuck his head in the window and looked at the surf equipment and dirty clothing strewn around the back. He looked back at me. Then he reached for my sunglasses, which were perched on my head. No! Some unknown courage came over me as I ducked away. Get your hands off me! I yelled with some kind of confidence that wasn't my own. He seemed shocked, and he did as he was told, backing away. The second man stuck his head in my window, performed a similar inventory, and then pointed at my iPhone, laid between the two seats. No, I said again, this time sounding more annoyed than fierce. See, the man replied and started to reach over me. Just as the man's hand was partway into the window, my sleepy little puppy let out the most pathetic bark I have ever heard and jumped into my lap knocking down the hand reaching over me. It was enough. The man pulled his hand back. He looked annoyed. ¿A dónde vas? ¿Estás sola? He was asking me where I was going and if I was alone. Surfing, I replied, ignoring the question as to whether or not I was alone. He eyed me, lowered his gun, and started laughing. I really don't know why. 
Hay un impuesto. 500 pesos. He said there was a tax of about 25 U.S. dollars. I returned his laugh, though I had no idea why we were laughing. I made a show of searching all over the truck for some cash. I finally handed him the equivalent of about 12 U.S. dollars. I made sure to use my worst gringa accent as I told him in Spanish that I didn't have any more money. He asked if I had any water. I said yes, and I handed him a large bottle. He asked if I needed directions or a cabana rental for the night. I said no. He told me to have a nice day. Both men slung their guns on their backs, walked slowly back to the tree, moved it from the road, and then proceeded to wave me through. I smiled and waved and trembled as I continued on my merry little way. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, you can head over to 100daysinmexico.com and check out the insider section where I record a behind-the-scenes video for each episode. In these videos, I answer questions like, did you ever actually send that letter to Kurt? Or, whatever happened to that guy? Did you see him again? Or, where is your puppy now? So for the answers to these questions and an insider's behind-the-scene look at every episode, head on over to 100daysinmexico.com and sign up to become an insider. It's about the cost of a latte per month, and there's a whole lot of value in there. Until next time. Music